0: So, we are in Philippians, and uh, we have had a long journey throughout this book. We are in week number seven of Talking Through Philippians. At this point, we should kind of know the ins and the outs of this book, right? We know Paul is, where is Paul at when he's writing this? He is in prison, Uh, not like a nice penitentiary. You know, he's in a small, confined area of a prison. He's writing to the church of what? Where's the church? In Philippi, hence the name Philippians, the letter, and we know that the church in Philippi is a church that Paul started 10 years prior to him being in prison, okay, and over and over and over and over and over again in this book, the theme that Paul's constantly pointing towards is how to have true joy, to be content, not happiness, happiness will fail, right? You can be happy about things for a moment and then they can just go away, You guys remember that Ohio State football game last year where the Ohio State fans were really, really, really happy, and then there was a fumble, and then they weren't happy anymore, but all the SEC people were? Happiness can come and go. Um, Joy comes from Jesus, and when joy comes from Jesus, that doesn't go anywhere. It sustains, and it it doesn't sustain because of our circumstances. It doesn't sustain because of anything that we do. It sustains because of who he is because he's the author, the creator of of all things. And so over and over in the book we see this theme of rejoicing and joy and how to have joy in our anxiety, which we're going to talk about next week. Um, But we see this, this theme play over and over, and it's interesting that this theme of joy would come from a man in prison. The most joyful man of all of Rome was in a prison cell. And instead of licking his wounds and being concerned about himself he's looking out for the care of others in a young church plant trying to make sure that they keep the way by encouraging them to keep moving forward in their in their growth we call it sanctification as a theological term sanctification is the the transforming of our bodies to be more like Christ people will say i've been sanctified uh, if you hear somebody say that, it is totally okay for you to go, uh, no, you're not, because you're still breathing. You're being sanctified. When you die, you get a new body, and you're with Jesus, you will be fully sanctified. But sanctification is, is, is spiritual growth. It's, it's our growth to becoming more like Christ. And this is where Paul is in Philippians chapter 3. He's, he's helping us to continue to figure out how do we spiritually grow. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, all of that chapter we talked about last week, that's about Paul's past. Remember, he gave us a whole resume of who he was, and he says, Out of all these things that I've done, means absolutely nothing compared to Jesus. There was a word for that, as uh, bull scubalon. Remember that word? Dung, right? And so he says that, that is all that is. But in, in Philippians, starting in verse 12 of chapter 3, this is all about Paul's present. So the last 11 verses are his past. These next few verses, starting in 12, he's going to paint for us a picture of the present. So he says in verse 12, and this is a a really good verse for you to know and to be able to quote, but he says not that I've already reached the goal because I think sometimes we forget that. We think that we've made it uh, to our destination spiritually when we've allowed Jesus to save us that that's it, but there's a spiritual component to this of us growing. He said, not that I've already reached the goal or, or that I'm already perfect. Like he says, I'm not there yet, okay? Let me just tell you, Christianity is not about us doing all these wonderful things and doing things by our own power. Christianity is coming to the recognition, I cannot do this, and I need Jesus to do what I could not do for me, right? So we've never made It doesn't matter how good we look or how much we think we've got it figured out. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. we we got to continue pushing on. So he says, I've not reached the goal, I am not perfect, but I do make every single effort to take hold of it because I have been, you ready for this, he says, I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. I think and I hope with confidence we could all say nobody in this room is perfect. Are we okay with that? We can start there in a minute. Uh, if you have a hard time admitting that, just tap the person on your left or your right and ask them, do you think I'm perfect? And they will slowly, gently humble you a little bit by telling you not. We're not perfect. We, we have mistakes. We have mess-ups, right? Uh, we sin. We, our, our natural bent is to do wrong. Like, um, what would you do? Don't confess this out loud because we do have law enforcement officers. But you've been sitting at a stoplight for a long time and there's nobody else there. Nobody else can see you, and you've been sitting three minutes, which seems like an eternity at a stoplight. What do you feel tempted to do? Anybody done that? I told y'all not to say anything. Y'all, look, I'm trying to keep y'all out of jail, but hey, if you go to jail, be like Paul, write us letters, because <laughs> our temptation is to do wrong, right? I mean, we teach our kids, this stove is really, really hot. I don't want you to touch it. Because if you touch it, you're going to get burned. I'm not telling my kids that because I I don't want them to have fun. Like, hey, God, this stove touching it when it's hot is so much fun, but I don't want you to know how much fun it is, so I'm going to tell you not to do it, right? What's the temptation of kids? Oh, let me touch that. That flaming thing looks fun. Let me put this paper towel on it and see what happens, right? We have to teach our children to not do those things. Like, when we send them to school, We don't teach them, like, this is how you hit somebody. You shouldn't. This is how you would spit. This is how you use a pair of scissors to cut somebody's hair uh, when they don't want it cut. This is how you use a pair of scissors maybe even to to somewhat stab somebody. Like, do we have to teach our kids those things? This is how you're disrespectful. This is how you talk back. We have to teach the opposite, right? Because they naturally, we were really, really, really good at those things on our own without any help. The things we struggle with, and even as adults, how to be kind to people, how to have respect, how to treat people the way that Jesus would have us to treat people. That's why we're not perfect, because our natural bent is to do wrong. That's why we have that urge for three minutes sitting at a a stoplight with nobody else around to just hit the gas and go through in hopes that nobody catches it, right? Right? So with confidence, we all say we are not perfect. We have our doubts. We have our struggles, right? I mean, a lot of people are, are afraid to come to Christianity because they have so many doubts. And what I want to encourage you is bring those doubts. Pick them up and walk with them because eventually you're going to drop those doubts because he's going he's to show you there's no reason to doubt. He's going to build your trust process. We, we have doubts. We have struggles. We're not perfect. But as Paul says, we press On. He says, I'm not who I want to be. But thank God I'm not who I used to be. Can anybody testify to that? Thank God I'm not who I used to be. Like I'm still a bit of a jerk right now, but my goodness, years ago I was a massive jerk, right? I didn't care if anybody was around the stoplight when I had been waiting three minutes. I was gonna go. Right? That that's we've come a long way. And sometimes we don't give ourselves credit. For what God has done in our lives up to this point. Because we forget where we were. And sometimes we can forget where we were and get so conceited in where we are that we forget about everybody else. And Paul's trying to also get us to not do that and fall into that trap as well. So he says this language of, of pushing on. In, in other translations, it'll say to press on. That means to sweat. We all know what that's like right you will feel that effect when you walk to your vehicle when we leave here today you will sweat you will press on towards your vehicles but i want you to pay attention there is a possessive here but paul says christ has taken hold of me and another way to say this is christ made me his own i belong to him my failures our failures, but to him, their strengths. In my weakness, I'm made strong because Christ has made me his own. We, we've been bought at a price. We were bought by the blood of Jesus and adopted, as, as Paul will say in his letters, is that we have been adopted into the family. We are joint heirs with Jesus. He, he has made us his own, we are, we're his creation. So Paul says, I take hold of this because Christ has taken hold of it for me. He's taken a hold of me, so I'm going to take a hold of this. He loves me. He cares for me. He gives me grace. He gives me mercy. So I want to take hold of the things of Christ because Christ has taken hold of the things for me. And this is why he uses this language of like there's some sweat equity that has to happen. You've got to press on to see spiritual growth in your life. You're going to have to work at it. It's not just something that naturally happens. Because again, naturally, I don't want to do the right thing. So when we're talking about trying to grow spiritually, we have to do some hard work. It's called discipleship. It's called making time to read your scripture. It's making sure that we're spending time praying to the Father and praying for other people. It's, it's carving out time. It's sacrifice. It's sacrifice. Let me ask you this question. Is it easier for you to be healthy or unhealthy? It's just natural, right? I mean, who put this box of little Debbie cakes up here? Somebody's got to eat them and take one for the team, right? It's easy to be unhealthy. It's easy to eat what you want, and it's easy to drive by the gym, right? It's easy to pay the gym membership and never show up. That's easy to be unhealthy, is it easy to make excuses or make a difference? It's easier to make excuses. Right? I can make an excuse for anything in the world. I used to be a master at it, especially when report cards would come out. It was never my fault at all. And now that I'm an adult, I realize I was wrong. It's easier for us to be unhealthy because being unhealthy requires nothing. We just naturally can be great at being unhealthy. Um, In order to be healthy, there has to be some sweat equity into it, right? There's got to be a little bit of work. There's got to be a little bit of thought because it it involves sweat equity, and that's what Paul's talking about here. He says that I I make every effort. i got to put work into it. i got to put some effort into it. I just didn't accept Christ as Savior and thought that everything was going to be made new in that moment, that I wasn't going to have to do anything, that God was going to do everything for me. And while God did redeem and forgive, there's a process of growing in that relationship. When you got married, you just didn't end it right there, right? You're like, all right, now we're good. We're going to figure this thing out as we go. You have to continue to spend time together to develop that relationship. It's the same thing with the Father. We continue to to put sweat equity and sacrifice into building that relationship with Him. And the more that we spend with Him, the more that we grow. We're putting every effort into everything, not just in the relationship with Him, but when we're putting it into Him, that effort that we put into everything, do all things as you're doing them for Christ Jesus. Do y'all see the connection there? Because any, everything that happens in the relationship with Jesus will pour out into everything else. If nothing is pouring out, nothing of Jesus is pouring out, then I can tell you this. You're not spending time with Jesus. You might be spending time with the version of Jesus that you've made up in your mind. But you're not spending time with Jesus. And you know, there, there is a version of Jesus that we sometimes have in our minds. When people talk about they walked away from their faith, they walked away from Jesus. I'm like, no, they didn't walk away from Jesus. They walked away from their version of Jesus. Of Jesus because if you meet the real Jesus there's a big difference and so Paul says we've got to put in sweat equity he picks up in verse 13 he says brothers and sisters I do not consider myself to have taken hold of any of these things but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus Paul says I One thing, this one thing, I I can give you 5,000 things, but let me give you this one thing. This one thing that I do is I forget what's behind. I forget what's happened behind, and I reach forward to what is ahead. Now, why does Paul say this? Because you cannot run the race if you're living in the past. You can try it, but you're not going to go very far. You seen these videos of people texting and they walk into like the fountains and into light poles and y'all seen those videos? Y'all should really look at those on YouTube. They will encourage you. Like I was on my phone the other day texting walking down the sidewalk, mistake number one, and I was within three inches of my head hitting one of the signs right here on the street. Uh... I'm not very tall. The town of Monks Corner really needs to up their signs so this will not happen. So, partially the blame is on them. But I was just interested in, like, just boom. And it would have been on our office camera, too. That, and I know that there are some people in this room that would have gotten a hold of that. And there would have been videos, and I would have been viral for the wrong reasons. But you got to pay attention to what's out in front. Think about it like, the rear view mirror is small. And the windshield is big for a reason, because the rearview mirror is made for us to glance at what's behind. But if you're staring in that rearview mirror the whole time, what happens? Right? It looks like NASCAR. You hit everybody. The windshield is big because it's made for us to look at. The rearview mirror is made for us to glance. Paul says you can't run a race if you're living in the past. You, you got to forget what's behind, not forget it like it never happened, but forget as those things don't define who I am or define my identity because I have found my identity in Jesus. Paul just told us that in the last 11 verses. When he gave us his whole past, have I done all these things? But he says those things do not define me. The one thing that defines me is I put those things aside and push forward to everything that Jesus has. My eyes are focused and laser focused, locked in on what he wants me to do. I, I am not trapped in my past because I am pressing on towards what is in The future with Jesus' invitation to sit with him. Jesus defeated that past. He's gotten rid of those things. He's casted those sins as far as the east is from the west. When when Jesus came in, he gave us a completely different future. And if you want to break the power of your past, then, then live for the future that is yours in Christ Jesus. Because the future is so much brighter with him. It's so much clearer with him. It is so much better with him. And Paul says that there's, there's this one thing that he does. He doesn't focus on the past. Sometimes we allow the past to get into our present and disrupt our relationship with the Father. Like, it's really difficult for people to grow, who grew up not having a stable relationship with a Father. It makes it really difficult for them to see a pure-hearted Father in God because their past interferes with that we sometimes will let our past seep into how we treat our children how we treat our friends how we treat our time and we'll be disgruntled and all we'll do is cry and complain about everything because nothing's made right nothing could ever be right because we're so trapped in the past of toxicity that we miss the goodness of what God has in the future when he wants to heal your heart from all that mess that's keeping you from a good relationship with him so he says there's this one thing. He, he's talking about being single-mindedness, like I am focused on Jesus. It's interesting because this phrase, one thing, actually pops up in the Scripture quite a few times. Let me take you on a little journey here. If you'll look in Luke chapter 10, in verse 30, the Bible tells us this. When, when they were traveling, he entered a village and there was a woman named Martha who welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. So keep in mind, Martha welcomes him. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening to what is being said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and all the things that she had to do that she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Like, in other words, she ain't pulling her weight, Jesus. Tell her to get her behind up and come in the kitchen and help me get these tasks done so that we can all enjoy it. And look what Jesus' response was. Because you would think that Jesus would be like, oh, you're right. We should probably all help. But hey, let's, let's go help and we'll come back. But Jesus says, the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about what? Many things. He wasn't just speaking to the physical. He was speaking directly into her heart because remember he he knows not just what's happened physically but he knows what's happening internally he says "You're worried and upset about many things but listen to this he says but what's the word one thing is necessary mary has made the right choice and this will not be taken away from her jesus is approached and says, hey, my sister's not doing what I want her to do, and, and she won't do it the way that I want, but Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary. She's put down all the tasks and all the chores and all the things that she needs to do for the day, and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, the one thing. Her attention is in one place. It is on the Father and what he has to say to her in that moment. While Martha completely misses the moment. Later in in the book of Luke, Jesus meets this rich young ruler in a synagogue. And he says this in verse 18 of Luke 18. He says, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom and, and inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? And Jesus asked him, No one is good except God alone, and you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he says, oh, I've kept all these things from my youth, like from my early days. I've been doing those things. I hadn't stole anything. I've been honoring mom and dad because uh, dishonoring mom and dad in that culture meant you got stoned, and so they they didn't have uh, kid issues, so to speak. Um, And if they did, there were funerals that that were had uh, quickly. And he, and he says, I've kept all these things from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said, that's cool, man. But you still lack one thing. You still lack one thing. will not you go sell everything that you have and, dis- and, and distribute that to the poor? And you'll have treasure in heaven, and then you can come follow me. Now, this doesn't mean today that you should walk out of here and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Here's the point Jesus is trying to make. Are you connected and is your focus on your wealth and the things that you have built in it, on this side of heaven or is your attention focused on not just me getting these things done but i'm focused on the relationship with jesus that if it means i need to get rid of everything i have i am willing to get rid of everything i have it's a sacrifice because mary sacrificed she sacrificed everything now that list probably had to get done later on in the day probably had to be pushed over there are probably important things that she didn't do. But her one thing, i gotta hear, I got to hear from Jesus right now. And then we get here, and, and, and this rich young ruler, Jesus is saying, there's one thing you need. You don't need all these things. I'm, I'm glad that you held to all those, those traditions and you held to all those laws. But you lack one thing. Your commitment to me, your father. Well, in John chapter 9, we continue this theme. Because Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath day. That was a big no-no, not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Don't do anything on the Sabbath. You would the rest on the Sabbath. So this and this culture is seen as breaking a law. So Jesus is being accused of breaking a law. And the Pharisees interview this blind man. And then they interview his parents about the healing because they want to know, Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath. They need to know, was this guy really blind? Is this just a story that's been made up? And if he did really heal him, then we got to get him. We can't let that story out. We're going to need to arrest Jesus or do something because he was working on the Sabbath, which breaks the law of him being Jewish. So the story says, so a second time they summoned the man who had been blind, and they told him, give glory to God, and we know that this man is a sinner, they said. And he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. What's the word? One thing I do know. I was blind and now I can see. Because where's this guy's focus at? On Jesus. Can you imagine that moment? And It was the craziest way for a guy to be healed. Jesus grabs some dirt and spits in it, rubs it, and then throws it up in his eyes and then tells him, go down to the pool and rinse this stuff off. Now, What's this guy's problem again? How's he going to get to the pool? He can't see. Every step he took was faith, trusting that the thing that I heard in the presence of Jesus, I've got to walk out in faith of obedience to get to the future that he wants me to have. And he does. And he takes water and throws it in his face, and it's like scales just completely fell from his eyes, and his sight is restored says it's one thing the blind man say i don't i don't know a lot of things but i do know one thing i was with that dude and i couldn't see and now i can you explain that right literally in that moment whatever nerves were in his eyes that were detached keeping him from not being able to see in that moment jesus connected those things right back no problem but look at king david in psalm chapter 27 he says the lord is my light and my salvation whom should i fear The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Who should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh. Anybody got any people like that? You had to write like that? There are people that are out to literally eat your flesh. He says, My foes and my enemies stumbled and they fell. And though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. Confident in what? Well, He's being surrounded by an army that wants to kill him and eat him, and he says, I am confident. What is he confident in? Look at this verse. I have asked, what's that word? One thing. I have asked one thing. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing, on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. are y'all seeing that the one thing is being in the presence of the Father, no matter what is happening around us? David said that there's one thing that I want to I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. I want to see the Father. C.S Lewis says this is that if you aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. but if you aim at Earth, you'll get neither. If you just worry about what's happening around you and you never look up, you'll never see him at work because you'll be so inundated with the negative and the the corruption that is happening around us and the sinful nature. The one thing, one thing, this is my prayer for you, this is the prayer for the church, is Jesus the one thing that drives everything, everything. I'll say that again, everything, because we try to hear that word and compartmentalize it, everything, your wallet, your relationships, your thoughts in your mind, your family, everything, everything. Paul says this, therefore, is a, when I was in uh, college, we were learning how to read the Bible, Um, it's really weird that you go to be a pastor, and then you go to college to learn how to be a pastor, and the first thing to do is teach you how to read a Bible, but um, there's a little trick in the nuance of the word here, it says therefore, okay, anytime you see that word, it means something, you know what it means? you got to figure out what it's there for. And so Paul says, y'all are getting too tight. I had to do something to break you up a little bit. He says, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. If you're mature, let's think like this. Like, that he has to be the one thing. Let us think in this way. Let us press on. If you think differently about anything, God's going to reveal this to you also. If you have a different desire, God's going to bring conviction to that to, to bring you back to him. And he says, God's going to reveal this to you also. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth that we have attained. Like, whatever we know, we're held responsible for everything that we've learned. We've got to live up to that. You don't have to know everything. You're not going to know everything. There'll never be a moment where you know everything there is to know about God. Because if you do... He's not God because he can now be explained. That's the beauty of theology. So there'll never be a day where we we'll are like, I, I got it, man. I don't need to read this book anymore. I've read through the Bible for 30 years. I'm good. I know it. But you don't because God is not so simplistic that we can explain him away. This is where the relationship really dives in. And he says that I, I'm, I'm going to live to the truth that, that I've obtained, the things that I know. God's going to bring more things, but right now I'm going to be obedient to the things that I know he's already introduced to me so join in imitating me hold that thought brothers and sisters pay careful attention to those who live according to the example that you have in us did you catch what paul just said imitate who i want to imitate paul that dude got beat stoned shipwrecked bit by snakes like not not a good life i don't know if i want that and Paul says, no, you, join, you You imitate what I'm doing. You imitate me as I imitate Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? Imitation is how we grow. How'd you learn how to walk? Somebody imitate that for you? You saw it and you started doing it? What about talking? Right? When you looked at your baby and you tried to get them to say dada or whatever you want them to say i remember when our our daughter marley was born it was trying to get her to say daddy dad, because i really wanted that to be the first word and her first word was savannah which was the name of our dog because we walked around our house all the time savannah stopped like we were fussing our dog all the time she learned how to talk because we imitated she learned how to walk because we imitated she learned how to use a fork because we imitated how did you learn how to pray This is why it concerns me sometimes that we're scared to pray out loud in groups of people. But the way I learned how to pray was hearing other people pray, imitating that for me. Thank God for godly leaders in my life that prayed to where one day I just started praying. It didn't bother me anymore because I just realized I'm not talking to you anyway. <laughs> I'm talking to God. We, we learn through, through imitation. Walk, talk, throw, eat, pray, serve, read our Bibles. This is why it's so important that the people that we have in our lives have to be carefully prayed through and chosen of who we really spend the majority of our time with. Because sentences have power to change lives. Imitation has the power to change lives. So who do you surround yourself with? Paul says this in verse 18. For I have often told you, and now I'm going to say it again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. you all catch that? Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on all the earthly things. Paul writes with tears. He's moved by this. It's, it's bothering him internally that there are people living in this way. And he says, these people are enemies of God. There's one point. He says, I would give up everything and even my relationship with Christ for them to be able to have a relationship with Christ. That's how much it hurt Paul. And over time, our lives will begin to reflect the things that we truly love. You know that? This is why when you talk against something and somebody gets all uptight about it, you just attack their idol because that's the thing that they worship. Paul says, this is how you know that you're enemies of God. He says this, that their, their God is in their what? Remember, it said it's in their what? It's in their belly. So what does, he, what does he mean by that? He says, they are consumers who see everyone and everything as a means to their end of personal fulfillment. And we can even be very cautious because we can have this in the church of consumers. I want it this way. we well, at my last church. Well, this ain't your last church. And your last church didn't even tell us you were coming, so now we're really upset with your last church. We can oftentimes be consumers to get the things that we want, but not the things that we need. And the things that we need come from the Father. And so Paul says, if it's in your belly, man, it's an idol. He says their glory is in their shame. They boast about their sin publicly, and they defend it. Y'all know anything about that, do you? You haven't watched the news at all, do you? you? You don't know anything about people that boast about their sin publicly and they try to defend what they're doing. That's our culture. That we, we celebrate sin publicly and it breaks the heart of the Father and to think that he's going to let us get away with that, then we've misread the scripture somewhere. And we celebrate things that should not be celebrated Instead of pursuing the gospel for the things that needed to be the gospel, we accept phrases like, I was born this way. You may have been, but we've been called to be born again. Because we are all born sinners. Every one of us. So we can't defend the sin. But my goodness, church, we have to love people. And if we speak such hatred towards people, we have really ruined it of trying to preach a gospel. But at the same time, if we accept and celebrate that which is sin, we have ruined an opportunity to share the gospel. We've got to find the balance. He says they pursue earthly things. They, they pursue the best things the world has to offer instead of the best things that God has to offer. So Paul, Paul's asking, like, is my mind set on this life or is it set on the next life? Because this life will leave you empty. We can have good days, and we can have a lot of bad days. And now I want you to see this in this last verse. He switches to talk about his future. He says in verse 20, our citizenship is in what? I want to say it one more time. Our citizenship is in, we live here, but this ain't home. And we'll render to Caesars what is Caesars, but we will give to gods what is God's. And what is God's? This body right here. This skin and bone is just a rental because I belong to Jesus. And I will give everything I have to Jesus. I love our country. I am so thankful that we have been born here in the United States of America, anybody else, that we we are in in a great place. But this is temporary and this is not home. That I worship a king who sits on his throne and is sovereign. I don't worship a donkey, I don't worship an elephant, I worship a lamb, because this is not home. Our citizenship is in heaven, we should never get too comfortable here. It would be like going to the Days Inn, or Holiday Inn, wherever you like to stay, and you only are going to be there for two days, but you go downstairs and say, hey, I need all the carpet ripped out of here, I want to put down marble floors. I don't like the shower. I want two of those rain showers that kind of come out and hit me from both sides with big glass, and I want like a big tub. What is the person that owns the the hotel, motel going to tell you? Sir, you're only here for two days. Don't we treat life like that, though? We try to build up what is not going to last. Paul says our citizenship's in heaven, man, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there because... Hey, there used to be a day I used to be like, God, please don't come back. I want to get married. God, please don't come back. I want to have kids. God, please don't come back. I, I want to see my kids have kids. I want to be a granddaddy. I want to buy all the toys that require batteries and never give the kid, them batteries. Anybody else? Come on, grandparents. But the closer I've gotten to Jesus, I found myself saying this, Lord, come quickly. Because I long to be with him. And Paul says he will transform the body of our humble condition to the likeness of his glorious body. We get brand new bodies. Like, we're going to all look good, y'all. If you've been trying to lose some weight, we get new bodies. We're going to look sculpted. And he says he's going to transform our bodies and our humble condition to the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He's going to make all things new in the end and we're not going to have to turn on the news anymore because the only news is going to be good news of what jesus has done a core doctrine of the christian church is that jesus will return for his people what a day that's going to be right i gotta say it because it's in my mind i've just always prayed that when that day happens i'm not in the shower (laughs) like anybody worry about where you're going to be at when jesus comes back Like, please god not just two more seconds And we know he's going to come back and he's going to return for his church. And when he does, everybody, we're going to see his face, the very one that we sing to, that we've been spending time with, that we've been learning about, living for. We physically will see his face. And we'll see the scars on his hands and his feet. And in Revelation chapter 21, John writes about this one day. Because the one thing leads us to the one day. And he writes about there's this hope that's going to come to the world. Now, I'm going to read these verses and then we're going to respond. We're going to, we're going to pray. We're going to seek him. We're going to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We're going to ask him, Have we wandered away from the one thing when we respond? We're going to sing because we say true things out loud with our mouths when we sing. But I want you to catch this image. Of what he says in Revelation chapter 21 the Bible says then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more I also saw a holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride adorned for the husband then I heard a loud voice from the throne. And we're going to recognize that voice because we hear that voice. But for the first time, we're going to audibly hear, hear the voice of God cry out to us from His dwelling and in humanity and from His throne. He says that when we hear that loud voice from the throne, God's, gonna, God, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. We're going to live with Him and they will be His people and God himself would be with them and will be their God and he will wipe away every single tear from their eyes God's not forgotten about your tears he's not forgotten about your hurts and your pains he's preparing a place as he says in John I go to prepare a place for you and there will be no more of this weeping and pain he says that I'm going to wipe away the tears from your eyes. Death's going to be no more. We'll never, ever attend another funeral and never have to sit beside a loved one's deathbed ever again. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything, you ready? Everything new. Everything new. And he also said, Right, because these words are faithful and they're true. Then he said to me, It is done. Does that sound familiar? There was another place in the scripture that Jesus said, It is done. To tell that. This is all done. There's new. He said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning in the end and i will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of water of life and the one who conquers will inherit these things and i will be their god and they will be my sons and daughters but those that are cowards that are faithless detestable murderers sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars he says their share We'll be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. John says there's a new heaven and a new earth. That is our citizenship. That we get to live in a place where this pain is no more. The closer you get to Jesus, those things are great side effects. that We get to go to a place that we don't hurt and have to do death and have to do grief. But that's not what heaven is. It's the Father calling out and us looking in His face, calling us His sons and His daughters. It all makes sense. My prayer for you in these next few moments is that you will just take a moment to bow your heads and just ask God. Just ask Him, God, show me how much you love me. Show me that you want to speak to me. I want to hear your voice. I can promise you that if we seek Him, we will find Him but he has something for you.